Episode 23 of Pals with Bill Rodman and Louise Hung. You can say Hung. No one, it, it, no one, no I one. I want to get it right. Well, nobody in, uh, in I the feel West. like in the world, it's like because there's like a small amount of people who know who I am via because of my writing, the internet. And they say Hung. Everyone says Hung. I feel like some people, if you said Louise Hung, it would, there'd be a disconnect. It's Louise Hung. I'm, we're the Hung. You're perfectly happy with the Hungs. I'm perfectly happy with the Hungs. Yeah. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I lived in. I was born in Hong Kong. I lived in Seattle until I was 12. Then we moved to Dallas. Then I went to undergrad in St. Louis, Missouri. So your parents are, are uh, Chinese, li- lived in Hong Kong. Why did they move to Seattle? Business stuff? Um, My dad went to Pepperdine. Okay. And then he really enjoyed living in the U.S. And um, he decided after he went back for a little bit, met my mom, got married, that he wanted, he really wanted to make a go of it in the U.S. And my mom was game. Okay. And they came over. So he went to Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because, okay, so let's start back at the other part. Okay. The the reason why I wanted you on was to to talk a little bit about death because it's a conversation you and I have not really had yet. Okay. Um, and you write about, talk about death more than your average bear probably yeah, yes that's, i was gonna say probably <laughs> but no you're <laughs> you're absolutely right but, but you haven't you haven't all you've written about all kinds of things mm-hmm. so how did when did you start writing when did i start writing yeah um professionally like in a, as a way to make money um out of school yeah uh i'd say 2011 so later and your education's in what? Theater. I have a master's in fine arts and directing for the theater. <laughs> and how much do you want to direct for the theater now? Not much. I mean, I, I now and then I miss it. I will say I feel like the skills that I got in graduate school, I 100% use all the time because it's story because I write um, scripts. Right. So it's storytelling. It's um, creating uh, uh Im- not whoops creating um maybe not creating imagery but like writing for towards imagery sure sure and um yeah so i don't have any sort of formal training as yeah. as a writer or in what i do it was just something that do, i do you think that if, if if tomorrow there was a universal basic income and everyone just got paid and they could do whatever they <laughs> wanted to do for society that you would go back in direct place no I think okay. this is what I'm supposed to do. I might write more plays. Like I miss being in the rehearsal room, but I don't yeah. miss being, I don't always miss being the director in the rehearsal room. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, I've met a number of people. I've, I have another friend who went to school for theater directing. I, I have friends who do a lot of technical theater stuff, right? That's like a big yeah. thing. And those people can more easily find jobs because there's always those jobs around. And if yeah. you become union, you could work. Yeah. I mean, if you are a capable and a capable technician and you work well with others, I feel like you can work a lot. Yeah. Uh, So you did you move back to Hong Kong at one point? Yeah. Um, And you lived in Japan. Did I see that? Yes, I lived in. So, okay. after I'll tell you all the places I've moved and there's been a lot. I think I just counted. This is my last move to my apartment was my. 20th move. Wow. <laughs> um, so after I, my family and I moved to Dallas, then we moved. How old were you when you guys moved to Dallas? Well, I was 
uh, just over 12. What was it like going from Pacific Northwest to Dallas? As a, as a kid, was that, was that culture shock at all? Oh, it was culture. It was really hard. Like I, and I moved going from elementary school into middle school, which which is like middle school is the worst. (laughs) That eighth grade movie. Did you watch that movie? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like a nightmare. Like, (laughs) it's like you just cover your face half the time. Yeah, no, it, it was, it was really hard. And it went, I went from going, living in a place where like, um, it's, it was, it was not homogenous. There were people in that I went to elementary school with who were all different races and beliefs and, um, you know, religions. And then I went to hippy dippy Pacific Northwest. Yes. I went to a hippy dippy elementary school. Totally. I totally did. There was like a tilth and everything, but then we, and then I went to Dallas and for some reason my parents put me in this very strict Catholic school. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Are they Catholic? No, I don't know why they they just thought, oh, you should go to parochial school. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. They're like, oh, this is this is a chance for you to get a better education. So we're going to put you in this very strict Catholic middle school. And it was culture shock in the south or the southwest. And then it was culture shock in a religious environment. I had no religious in education at all until right. like the first day I walked into that school and they're like, okay, everyone's going to say the our father. I was like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. I didn't even know what it was. You're in your little <laughs> uniform trying to fit in. Yeah. No idea. So that was shocking. I, I was like the new Asian girl from the Pacific Northwest yeah. in middle school in Texas. I was an, I, I mean, it was hard <laughs> for me. And then I was sort of like, I sort of acted out. So I was sort of, I was sort of a nightmare. It was just like this perfect storm of like, Every, I, everybody was unhappy, not, not unhappy. We weren't unhappy, but everybody, everything was difficult. And I wasn't actively trying to make it less difficult. I sure. was like making it worse because I was like 12, 13 years old and hated everything and myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm making us think about it. Yeah, exactly. All right. So you're in middle school town in Texas. Then where'd you move? Um, so I went to high school in Dallas as well. And then public school by then, or do we, I went to, I ended up staying school. in private school, but I switched schools. So it wasn't this like intense Catholic ex- experience. It was still a Catholic yeah. experience, but it wasn't, it wasn't like people like teachers saying that you could go to hell, stuff yeah. like that. Well, when, when, when you were a kid, your parents, I, I, I ostensibly am Episcopalian, I guess, you know what I mean? Like we went occasionally when I was a kid, right. I myself am an atheist. Like it, it just, you know, it all feels like a bunch of stories to me. Mm-hmm. And I've had conversations on this show with Buddhist scholars and stuff. I, I respect the, the, the philosophy behind religion, but the stories and the dogma just, you know what I mean? The idea that yeah. there, there is wisdom in old stories. And all, like I understand Absolutely. that as, you know, myth, mm-hmm. but the idea that it is religion, I don't have much of your family was, there was nothing or not, not nothing Nothing so codified or like rigid as Western Catholicism, like American sure. Catholicism in the well, Southwest. That's like the most rigid, of, well, other than Southern <laughs> Baptist. I think that that's about as tight as it gets. I mean, we were in we were in Dallas, so yeah. kind of yeah. And um, they like both of my parents believe in. Our, I'd say I would call them spiritual, but not they're not part of an organized religion. But I grew up hearing stories about you know you know, respecting your ancestors and ghosts and spirits and having a very like clear connection to death actually. And well, that ancestor thing has, is a very sort of cultural Mm -hmm. line, especially with Asian cultures, not to be, I'm not trying to be, no, I mean, that is a thing, right? Totally a thing. And I mean, everybody's different. I can only speak for my family, but there was a very strong connection to, um, 
the afterlife. I can, yeah, I can say the afterlife, whether it's, you know, you know, dealing with a God or not. It was definitely, um, when I was growing up, there was a definite, like, you know, you don't speak ill of the dead. You don't, you know, curse your ancestors or anything like that. You respect them, you include them. And, uh, there are certain times of the year, um, certain celebrations that you, you know, actively acknowledge them. And I wouldn't call it like woo woo. And I wouldn't, I, I, my family is far from that, but there was definitely like some sort of connection to something greater than what's here. Um, That being said, going into like a Catholic environment was shocking to me. Like how rigid everything was. Buy into all the stuff or at least, you know, go to school and live up to that Mm. standard. Does that make sense? The first school I went to, yes, it was very much like drink the Kool-Aid. I, well, yeah. I mean, and I, I just actually did research on the actual, um, Jonestown drinking the Kool-Aid stuff. So now I hesitate to say that, but it sort of felt like at the time, like you better like believe in what we're, um, teaching a hundred percent. And if not, like I did actually have a teacher say, well, mm, you know, you're not Catholic, you're going to hell. So, so weird, it's bizarre. It? And I've, I've, I've had other people tell me that, um, in very rigid, not just not to dump on the Catholics, but Christian religious type environments that people have said had like teachers have said to them like, oh, you're going to hell because you're not Catholic, you're not Christian, yeah. et cetera. You know what's fascinating about all that to me is that, you know, when you, if you talk to high level scholars in Judaism and, and Islam and Christianity, whatever it is, like the people who are like really studying it and writing about it and stuff, not the really dogmatic people, but the people who are just honestly in there and interested in it, they probably, if they were sitting in a room would agree on 95% of, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they'd be like, look, we're all talking about the same thing from different directions. Yeah. And yet there's people all the way down the line and all of them just want to fight about it. You know, it's just amazing to me. Oh, it's amazing. Um, all right. So you're in Texas. You go (laughs) go to, to get out of Texas. Sorry, I'm jumping around. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) So you go to high school there and where do you decide to go to college? I went to St. Louis university in Missouri, which was at the time was not my first choice university at all, but I also wasn't a great student. Like school was a struggle for me. Um, but I went to university, St. Louis university, which is a very good school. I can't believe they let me in frankly. And it was fantastic. Like it was the best choice I ever made. I was like cold though, right? It was cold. It was cold. I don't think it was cold quite like this. Maybe. I don't know. I don't quite remember, but it was a really good experience. I loved St. Louis. I like wept when I left to go to grad school in Los Angeles, um, where I went to UCLA. By the way, not usually somebody going from St. Louis to UCLA, (laughs) not normally the weeping kind of. I was really excited to go, but I loved St. Louis and I felt so safe and supported. And I had a, I had a great sort of like uh, chosen family there. It was just, oh, it was a wonderful place. And I got I got so much great experience there, um, but went to LA, went to grad school, lived in LA for eight years, um, um, went to grad school, worked there. I met my husband there. Um, and then I moved to Hawaii with him Wow. Okay. <laughs> because he was getting his, he'd gotten accepted into the PhD program at, um, university of Hawaii, um, in Manoa. Somewhere I've never been. Hawaii? Yeah. It's really great. Make a point of going or is it, you know, if you have the opportunity to go? I think 
Okay, so Hawaii was really hard for me to live in because it's very expensive. Yep. But if you're and going you got to eat spam. <laughs> you don't have to eat spam. I didn't eat spam. I'm also a vegetarian, <laughs> so I didn't eat spam. But um It's mostly made of vegetables. They didn't tell you that. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So I ate spam all the time. No. <laughs> But yeah, no, Hawaii's great. Everyone should go visit. It actually looks like the postcards, yep. um, but super hard to live in if you're a, I think it's, it's a culture shock also from the mainland and also it's super expensive. Like it is. Everything has to get imported. Everything's so. an import. Um, I, I think. I, Except for coconuts and pineapples. Well, pineapples are also expensive in Hawaii for really? some reason. Yeah, Isn't I, one I don't island know owned by Dole or something? And, and that's where they... <laughs> well, yeah. And, and there's a Dole plantation Larry and Larry Ellison bought the island or something like that? That's what I heard. It's, it's, it's a... There's a lot of um, sort of uh, not great things that happen for native Hawaiians because of pineapples. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> but... Um, it's yeah, it's it's a wonderful place. And if I were like really wealthy and I could just live in Hawaii comfortably, oh yeah, I'd love it. But it was it was hard to live there. It was a culture shock. I again, I'm a creature of habit and I got used to it and then I was really sad to leave. But um people ask me, would you move back? And I'm just I just don't think I I could, not at this point in my life. Right. Um okay. What were you doing at the time? Um so my husband was getting his PhD at UH and I was I floundered for the first few months because I had left a job in Los Angeles that um, I'd been in for a while. I really liked, I, I was good at it. Um, it was in education. It was in, um, uh, I was a teaching artist for a major theater in Los Angeles. Okay. Um, and then I left that and I realized I was burnt out. I was starting to burn out on theater. Yeah. So I went into this period of like, I had trained for like, 20 something years of my life to be a theater artist. And I didn't want to do that anymore. And it was terrifying. And I floundered around for a while. I worked in a pet shop, which actually turned out to be a wonderful thing. Um, And then a friend of mine was like, you know what? You should submit to um, this publication. What's the worst that could happen? And so I said, okay. And I submitted a very uncharacteristic submission for me because I was so depressed and uh, like in my head at the time, I was not reaching out to people, but I was like, okay. So I submitted this publication. They accepted my submission. They loved what I wrote. And then they, um, they offered me a regular gig writing for them. And then it's sort of snowballed from there as far as my writing career goes. Okay. Before we jump to the writing career, yeah, yeah. <laughs> theater in LA, I mean, theater in New York, yeah. This is like the home of American theater. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so if you're in, involved in even off-Broadway, off-Broadway off theater <laughs> here, generally you're, you're trying to jump up the rungs of theater in New York. Yeah, I think that's Where in accurate. L.A., is theater seen as like a stepping stone to TV and movies because that's the home of TV and movies out there? Sometimes I... For the record, I, I I am a little hesitant to speak for Los Angeles theater because a I've been out of it for so long, <laughs> and b um, I don't I don't know everything about Los Angeles theater. I can only tell you what I know from what I remember, what my experience was, and what, what my friends tell me, who Fair are basically enough. all theater artists. Yeah. Um, I think it's both. I think some people see theater as a way to yeah jump up the ladder, get, get seen so that somebody will Some producer's going to be here and see me and Maybe. say, hey, we got you a thing for the TV. Yeah, tons or, of showcases. Or they're trying to get to New York too. 
if they're if they're into the theater maybe i mean here's the thing like i think there is this especially in los angeles there is a lot of pride in los angeles theater the people who are running los angeles theater i think would take issue with east coast people saying oh well people in la are just doing theater so that they can you know jump ship and come to new york at some point yeah i just i there are people who have been like or jump ship and be in a movie yeah, I mean, there are people who love Los Angeles Theater, believe yeah. in it, and that's all they want to do, yep. and they just want to make it better, which I wholeheartedly believe in. Probably also true of Chicago. Yeah, every city yeah. has has its pride. Have the sure. people who are building the, their their arts and theater and, yeah. and such. Um, then there are people, certainly that, and I think these are the people who might sort of like give LA theater that bad rap. But like, um, there are people I think who. Um, Yes, yeah, see theater as a stepping stone to get into film and television, which a lot of times it is. A lot of people start out, sure. people I know started out in film or in, in theater, um, live theater, and then they somehow got. Well, yeah, the if next you want to get into the movies, you're not taking acting for movies in school. You're you probably can. In, yeah, but you're probably <laughs> in a theater program. You know what I mean? Yes, most you know? likely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, uh, Heather, my wife, and I, uh, decided this a few months ago that we wanted to go see more theater because mm-hmm. we think we're in New York. We never go see theater. We never go see it's musicals. Expensive. Yeah. So last spring, uh, I'm a Sorkin mm-hmm. fan and the To Kill a Mockingbird tickets came up. And so I bought two tickets for previews mm-hmm. front row of the balcony for $45 a piece. That's really good. Six months ahead of time. It was mm. the first or second week of previews. But I knew at a, at a production that level, even previews, it was going to be fine and good. And you know what I mean? Like yeah, they, yeah. It might be changing something, but it's still going to be a pro show. You know? Oh, yeah, of yeah. course. I mean, previews are and still. I, I almost find it interesting, the idea that they're still working it. You know, mm-hmm. that's like an interesting thing. No, it is. So it's we saw that and we saw Book of Mormon and we saw My Fair Lady and we okay. saw Dear Evan Hansen and we saw Network and we saw. Oh my gosh, you saw Alice by heart <laughs> on the last <clears throat> six weeks or so. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we've, we've been on a tear. What was your favorite? Mockingbird probably and then Book of Mormon. Really? Yeah, okay. I thought Book of Mormon was fun. Okay. The kid who plays the uh, Elder Cunningham, the mm-hmm. like shorter, more awkward guy. Yeah. Uh, I went and actually shot him for my 365 project. Oh, I, cool. I wrote him. I was like, Cody, you're fantastic. Anyway, that guy's been doing the same roles for seven years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Seven years singing the same damn songs. Yeah. No, I feel like a lot of people do that. I mean, who is that guy? There was a guy. Um, remember that show Jesus Christ Superstar? Yep. Um, Ted Neely, I think, originated the role, or one of the was one of the first Jesuses, and I think sang he, it forever. I, I I literally think he did that for twenty something years. I could be I could be off, but I I remember like as a kid learning about like that show because I was I was a musical theater like junkie when I was yeah. a kid, and then like years like decades later, I was like, oh, that guy's still doing that. <laughs> yeah, and I said to Cody, I said, you know, do you ever you got to be sick of singing these songs? And he said, no, not really. Because, you know, every once in a while, I don't want, I don't want, it's there's a like good one job. song. He's just like, there's one song that like, sometimes I'm not in the mood, but the yeah. rest of it's fun. I think in a show that's a somewhat comedic show too, mm-hmm. probably a little easier because you're half laughing the whole time you're doing it. Like you're just having fun with your friends yeah. on stage. You, you know? have a good, I mean, it's a good gig yeah. too. Like you're getting paid to do something you love. Yeah. You know, it's hard to leave yeah. something like that. Exactly. I get it. And if you're the lead in a big show like that. It's not like you're going to, unless you're Nathan Lane or BB Newworth, you're not, you can't just walk into whatever role you want. 
Yeah. I mean, you know. it could be, who knows what could happen the next day. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, the theater thing is tough. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so when you got into writing, what, what, what kind of, what did you write for initially? Um, I, I would say by, I met my best when I am a, um, essayist. So, um, I started off, let's see, I started off at a publication called XO Jane, which P, I, there could be people out, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, there could be people out there who hear the words XO Jane and like roll their eyes back into their head. XO Jane was a first person essay, um, publication, online publication that, um, focused on women's stories, um, things that that happened to women and um With it was bylines or did everyone kind of play the same character every, no everybody sense? had bylines okay. the sort of core um bunch of editors um the the person who created exogene sort of like to say that we were characters and we sure. all sort of had very specific voices and, and things we wrote about at its best. I think it was a place for people, women in particular to um, tell stories that they wouldn't normally get to tell and that were very personal and were very painful and were revelatory. And then at its worst, it could be clickbait, like the worst kind of clickbait. Right, right. And as it aged, it didn't, it didn't always age like well. Like a good restaurant uh, gets a little stale? Yeah. Okay. That's a good way to put it. I think is, it's like I, I, my time at XO Jane, people can roll their eyes was the, for me, it was a great training ground. It taught me. Do you me, feel like, were you writing from first person from your own experience or were you writing fiction in first person? Oh no. I was writing about my own experiences as um, as a human woman <laughs> living her life okay. and you sort of, I started learning how to like find the stories in my life and yeah. take something like a small moment that is like strange maybe, or like, Oh, that was weird. And like blow it up into something that's relatable and that people can read it and be like, Oh, that happened to you too. Like, for example, one of the best pieces I think I wrote for Exogene was um, I have anxiety so I pick at myself. It's it's not on purpose, but I pick at my skin. My thumbs are always torn up. Um, and I found out it was this thing called dermatillomania. Right. And I thought I was the only person who picked at myself. And so I wrote about like the it. The skin version of pulling your hair out. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I wrote about it. And thousands of people, and to this day, and this is like almost 10 years later, to this day, st people still find my email and write to me and be like, I thought I was the only one. I cannot believe you do that too. I don't feel so alone. And right. at its best, that's, I think, that's what Exogene was. Towards the end, it wasn't always that. And it went under. Um, and between, I mean, I had a main gig at Exogene, but I was also freelancing all over the place. Um, I had a reasonably long time writing for Catster magazine, C-A-T-S-T-E-R. I saw your bio on there yesterday. <laughs> there you go. I wrote for their print and their online and they're still around. I still think they're great. That was also a really great learning experience. And then, yeah, uh, I've just been... Are you in real life a big cat fan? I am. I'm an animal person. Like I, I worked with animals for a long time and I love animals. That's the pet store. What about what? That's the pet store. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to choose cat or dog, cat? Cat, but only because I'm also kind of a homebody and I like that with a cat, you don't have to walk them. Right. That's kind of the only reason we don't have a dog right now. Right now. I've had yeah. dogs, but not now. Because <laughs> dogs, I mean, a good dog is, 
a good dog kind of trumps a reasonably good cat because oh, I don't know about that. You can't do that. Dogs love you in a way cats don't. I disagree with that. Cats are nice to you because you feed them. This is a dogs, much, this is a whole separate you're episode. You're part of the pack. <laughs> no, th- I think this is a different episode. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I just think it's different. It's like some, it's like the, it, to me, it's the different, you know, some people are huggers and they just want to hug you or cuddle up with you or something. And some people, they love you and would do anything for you, but they want to sit next to you and they don't want to hold your hand. That's to me, that's sort of the difference. Okay, fair enough. And I, yeah, so I would, I would love to have both, but right now I have two cats and that's all I need right now. <laughs> cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria, exactly. <laughs> all right, so, so, so where does the modern world, the modern Louise come into all this? The, uh, what you're doing now? So let's see. Um, Exogene for a long time, freelancing for a long time. We moved to Japan for well, yeah, a- Okay, so you were, last we heard you were living in- Hawaii. Hawaii. Oahu. Honolulu. Um, and your husband's in theater too, right? Yes. Okay. He stuck with it. <laughs> um, we actually went to the same grad school. He he helped interview me to get into my grad school. He was already there. Anyway. Is, is that when he started hitting on you? You know, he didn't actually. Really? It was very, very awkward, such as most of our interactions are rather awkward. <laughs> um, but um, so we were in Honolulu and he wanted, he had to go into sort of the research phase of his yeah. PhD. So that was Japan. And he'd already lived in Japan before and we'd lived apart before. We live apart intermittently quite often, which is weird for some people, but it's kind of normal for us now. Yeah. But um, so people, he was- I think some people's relationships, depending on how they're built- yeah. can handle that and some can't. Yeah. Heather and I were long distance for the first two and a half years of our relationship yeah. and it did not, we, there was no point at which it was fraying because of that. No, it was fine. I have no problem with it. He still has to go to Japan often. Yeah. I don't really, it's fine. Um, but yeah, so he so had where to, in Japan were you? Uh, so the first time we were in Yokohama, which is sure. just outside Tokyo. It's basically yep. Tokyo. Tokyo suburb. Yeah, I is, guess is so. Is it the Fort Worth to the Tokyo Dallas? Um, yeah, that's a that's maybe sort of it is the like if Tokyo is the biggest city Yokohama is the second biggest they're they're very comparable there's just there's you know Tokyo has that intensity that Yokohama doesn't necessarily yeah. have Tokyo is the only place in the world I've ever been because you know living in New York it's not like it gets that much bigger than New York but Tokyo is the only place that I went where I was up in a high rise and looking out over the city and it just stretched in absolutely every direction as far mm-hmm. as the eye could see and I thought I feel small here and I yeah. lived in New York City for 15 years, you know? Yeah. I mean, Tokyo is, I, I didn't find it um, very, I didn't find it to be intense. It is intense, but I didn't find it le- find it like um, to be like. Overwhelming? Too, yeah, it wasn't overwhelming for me. I think it can be because there's so many people yep. and there's, it's. There's the just, layout of the streets is like a big giant labyrinth. Yes, exactly. And you get on the train and who knows where you're going sometimes, you know, or. And you got to get on the like red it. car if you're a woman so you don't get fondled. At certain times of day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, I loved Tokyo. I loved Yokohama. And the Shinkansen is fantastic. It is. It is fantastic. How's your Japanese? Bad. Don't ask. How long were you there? <laughs> uh, uh, a little over uh, two and a half years. I'd say, I mean, I can get by and yeah. I can read more than I can read more Japanese than I can read Chinese, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I can get by, I can understand, I think I understand more than I can speak. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, when you were a kid, were you parents speak Chinese to you? Yeah. It, I, I'm, I have this weird thing now where I feel like I can understand Cantonese 
pretty much fluently, I would say, unless we're getting into like some really like high falutin yeah. like business chat. Yeah. But I'm pretty much fluent, at least hearing wise, when with Cantonese speaking, I'm pretty good. But I have a terrible accent, so when I, it's just it's because it's just a tonal language. Yeah. So when I try and speak Cantonese. Um, you sound like an American speaking Cantonese. Oh yeah, and some people can't just flat. I know what I'm trying to say, but some people just can't understand me in Hong Kong. Can I ask a really dumb question? Uh, yes. Cantonese and and uh, um, oh, for God's sake, I'm just Mandarin. Mandarin. Thank you. <laughs> uh, completely separate languages, or sort of quasi overlapping? Where mm. you know what I mean? If you know one, you could kind of get along in the other. Does no, that make sense? Um, I there's like Spanish and Italian, or is it like you know? Spanish and English. It's uh, it's like German and English. German and English. Okay. I would say maybe um, just because they are separate languages. Come um, base somehow back in the distant past. Yes, and yes, yes, and they 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 sound very different. They have different um, stresses. They have different ways of writing. Um, and if you speak Cantonese, you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily understand Mandarin and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like if you, like when I hear Mandarin and I am not the best person to ask because again, I, I'm a, a Westerner. I, I was grew up in the West and I don't speak Cantonese very well. When I hear Mandarin, I can pick out words here and there. And, um, like sometimes, like if I, if it's people slow down and really enunciate, I can be like, oh, okay, that word is the same. That word is the same. That word is the same. I can put it, put it together. Yeah, I can understand you're looking for the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Well, it's just like when, like if you hear somebody speaking German rapidly, I, I bet an English speaker can like pick a few words out and be like, wait a second. I bet that means this. Cause it sounds so similar. Yeah. Cause a thousand years ago it was a Germanic language yeah. or whatever. Right. Got it. Okay. So, all right. So sorry. <laughs> it's okay. So there you are in Yokohama. You're in uh, Japan with your husband cause he's doing his research mm-hmm. and, and I'm working. Did you, did you like Japan? I loved it. I would okay. move back there. Cause some <laughs> would, people, some people I, I feel it. like are Japanophiles. I'm not, a, I, 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 I wouldn't some say people that. fetishize it. Yes. I was going to say, I don't really like Japanophile, but I think that people fetishize Japan. I loved it there. I loved living there. Um, I think that it's a really, it's a really great place to live. Um, if you're, how do I say this? It's like, cause it's like, I, I don't want to like have this thing where it's like, oh, it's so easy for a Westerner to go over there and blah, 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 blah. Because you know, there's some really nasty people that go over to Japan and are, and sure. behave poorly. My mother's in Thailand right now. Oh, she for is. For four months. Oh, Thailand's great. <laughs> yeah. Back to you. You met my mother. I do believe. I did. Yeah. yeah she was here at uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. But, um, but Japan was, I found as long as like, I, I like tried really hard and I, I don't want to say like, oh, I tried. So that's all that matters. But I did. I tried really hard. I tried not to be like a terrible American over there. And I found nine times out of 10. I mean, there were people who were angry that I was there, understandably, especially looking the way I look, yeah. but like people were kind and people were helpful. Yeah. And, and there's the, the culture is such that they, um, um, are, they will go out of their way to help you. Often, not yeah. always, but often. Now there were people who definitely were not so great, just like there are in any culture. But by and large, um, I had a really good experience. There in was Yokohama. no Japanese Chinese racism just because of your name and and how you look. No, it was more. It wasn't racism, but it was more. They could not understand that why I didn't speak Japanese because they assumed I was Japanese. Most people assumed I was Japanese, and then when I couldn't speak, or my husband was the one who was speaking for us because he speaks Japanese. 
It's like their their he's, mind's he's, melted. He's a white American. Yeah, he's a white guy from New York. So so it's just like, wait a minute, why is he speaking Japanese and you're not? Blue Asian people's lady, mind. Yeah. There we, we regularly go to the Seven Eleven by our house, like almost like. There's a lot of 7-Elevens in, in Fantastic. Tokyo. They're like, they're the, you, I bought so many meals there because you can. I bought sushi so often from 7-Eleven because you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, we go to the 7-Eleven and they know us, like they know who we are. But every single time the two of us would stand at the counter and they would ask me a question. My husband would answer. They'd hear him, but continue speaking to me. And I'm just standing there with my mouth shut. Like <laughs> I, he's the one talking, but it was just this mind melt of like, He's talking and you're, but he, oh. So were you freelance writing at that point over there? Yeah, that's when I really kicked into high gear and was like, okay, well, I can't work here. My my visa didn't allow me to work. And I don't speak Japanese. Yeah. So, so and I really didn't want to go be an English teacher. I mean, I think people who do that are fantastic. Yep. I didn't want to do that. Yep. I was sick of teaching. Um, And so, yeah, I just hardcore went into, like, leaned into freelancing and it worked out. So. Yeah, it's, it's and then at some point you were back in Hong Kong, no? Yeah, then a year. So, uh, we are in Yokohama. A little. This is really like the the history of your moves. You need to write a a, a thing where each move is a chapter. Uh, I feel like I feel like that. I've written like entire like <laughs> spans yeah. of essays. Of okay, each Yokohama move. to where? Um, so after being in Yokohama for a year, a little over a year, we moved to Hong Kong because Alex had to cons- uh, continue his his research. But he still needed to be able to go to Japan. But we, if we went back to the U.S., it was just going to be we'd have to move again. So we were like, you know what? Let's go to Hong Kong. We visited. He loved it there. I remember it from so many things. I remember so many things about it as a kid. I had, Did you go back there with your parents as a kid too? Yeah, we used to go spend like summers with my grandmother. there's still family there, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'd like stay at my grandmother's Talk house. Talk about a place that's also really expensive to live. Yes. That's got to be Hawaii expensive, no? Yes, it's a different, it's a different sort of expensive though. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we moved to Hong Kong and Hong Kong is so expensive to live. It just like rent alone is shocking yeah. for like people complain about New York rent. Yeah. I, it puts it to shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're sitting in an apartment now that is, I don't know, whatever, 650 square feet or something like that. Mm-hmm. Where that other people in other places would come in here and say, how could you live in here exactly. with two people? But New Yorkers come to our apartment and say, wow, look how wow. much space you have. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, you know? yeah. No, <laughs> it's a very big, I think it's a very large yeah, right, apartment. Right, right. And everything's relative, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, over there, you literally have a closet and it costs you half your half your check or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we. Li- I love, again, knowing, coming from Japan, also living in very small spaces, like it was great. Like we had an apartment in a fantastic neighborhood that I really loved. I would have bought that apartment if I could. There's no way I could afford it. Even that tiny little apartment, but like it was, um, I think it was 275 square feet, uh, maybe 250, something like that. It was under 300 square feet. Um, and it was, I would say it's almost as much as my first apartment in New York, which was a one bedroom and was like, 600 square feet, right. something like that. Yeah. So it's twice, three times the price. Of yeah. The ridiculous. Yeah. And, um, Japanese apartments. I like the apartment that my friend who I visited over there, cause I went there for a couple of weeks, went to, you know, was in Tokyo for a while, mm-hmm. went down to Kyoto and Nara, went down to Hiroshima, mm-hmm. you know, did, did that whole thing. Yeah. I mean, his apartment was literally a shoebox. Like okay. It was, yeah. 
mm-hmm. you know, I little know tiny apartment. kitchenette, a little tiny fancy bathroom with a fancy toilet, mm-hmm. and then a little corner where you could put a bed and maybe a little desk and like that. For sure. That's it, right? Yeah. No, I remember being- Not like a dorm room. Absolutely. I remember after I moved to Japan um, and then we took a flight somewhere, I don't remember, and I remember being in the airplane bathroom and actually thinking, this is so big. Like, cause it was so much bigger than it, not so much, but it was, it was markedly bigger than my than your Japanese, apartment. um, apartment bathroom yeah. where like, so people take that, put that in context, yeah. you've been on an airplane, just yeah. if you don't live in a city or one of these places. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a nice airplane bathroom. I think it was like Air Canada or something was yeah. one of the airlines with a slightly larger bathroom, but it was like, oh, this is bigger. This is bigger than my Japanese bathroom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so did you like Hong Kong when you went? Loved back there? it. I, my husband and I talk about wanting to move back there all like every single day. It was the perfect city for us. Um, just it, it, it was ever had all the like things that New York has as far as like culture and food and, and just things to do. But, um, for summer, it just has that Asian, it it is an Asian place. It's a Chinese place. Which obviously you have some cultural connection to Mm -hmm. your husband has some academic interest Mm -hmm. in. Yeah. Do you think that that is true of anybody or just because you guys are interested in that kind of culture? I don't think it's, do I think every, anybody would like Hong Kong? No, I don't think it's for everybody. I think it's intense. It's dirty in a lot of ways. People are pushy. It is, um, I it, feels like Blade Runner. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I think that what's interesting is I moved to New York and people are like, Oh, I could never live in New York. It's so intense. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I find New York laid back compared to Hong Kong. Like yeah. every aspect of New York is laid back to me pretty much. I think compared to Hong Kong, except that I think Hong Kongers are more likely to leave you alone. Whereas yeah. New Yorkers are a little more likely, a little are more likely to get in your yeah. face. I always wondered if, if, Hong Kong, obviously the handover was in 96. Is that one? 97. 97. Okay. Uh, ever since then, and then the, you know, rise of the Chinese economy and the, mm-hmm. the fact that there are 13 cities in China that are bigger than New York city. And most people in the West couldn't name two of them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I wonder if the, the, how much Hong Kong is changing and, or how much it's, it's importance in that area lessens as, Shanghai and Beijing and all these other places become these megalopolises, mm. you know, that are because it's limited by space. Yeah. You no longer have the British money connection the way it was. Obviously, it's still there, that like sort of Western hold yes. in, in China. You know, it's inter- it'll be interesting over the next 40, 50 years to see if it just gets subsumed into China culture entirely or if it still yeah. stays a quasi Western place. Well, I think that they're fighting there. There's a fight for democracy going on in Hong Kong right now because they have their independent, you know, they're a special administrative region. Yeah. And, um, what a euphemism. (laughs) It's so complicated. Oh God. So many things in Asian political territorial stuff. I mean, even the South China sea stuff going on or whatever it is. And like Mm -hmm. all these people fighting. And I like, I get why it's all happening. Even the stuff with Taiwan, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's just like, Oh my God, it's part of China. It's not part of China. It's, you know, like it's so complicated. It is very complicated. And there are a lot of, Excuse me. There are a lot of people who are fighting very hard uh, for freedoms um, to that other people, especially in the U.S., take for granted. Sure. So, um, yeah, I think that I, I um, again, this is like another episode. But Sorry. Like, no, no, no. I mean, it's like I'm trying to like put me on the line because I don't my, have any I'm people to like rein myself there. in, so I don't go off on this like 40 minute tangent. But basically, just you know, uh, there's. Um, 
there's a lot of concern over what's going to happen um, when uh, Hong Kong loses its um, or potentially loses its independent it's it's independent rule right now and goes back to Beijing. Yeah. So there's um, no timeline on that. It's just whether Xi decides that he's going to flip years a switch. Since, Fifty years after ninety seven. Oh, is that is mm-hmm. it? Okay. So I can imagine too if some political people Xi and those guys want to really just say you know what screw it we're just going to do this who's going to stop them? I mean, there's already things happening that are like contrary to the agreement. So. Yeah. Again, this is like another episode, yeah. but uh, yeah. Would, would that stop? But all of that would all that political stuff make you a little more leery about living there or putting down roots there? Yes and no. I mean, I can't. Like, I'm not going to lie. I definitely have thought about like, oh, if we were to go back and say like ten years, you know, how much? Is it even the place that you were there at ten years ago? I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, it. Uh, politically no but i mean i i think i would still want to go back because i am maybe naively hopeful and maybe i'm probably not as educated as i should be but i'm hopeful that um the hong kong that i see um the the potential for hong kong that i see will uh, to more or less will happen and it won't they won't lose um they won't lose what they've been fighting for um, yeah. against Beijing. So yeah, um, I'm hopeful and also being very careful what I say right now. <laughs> so no, um, I understand if I send a little clipped, it's because a, I don't want to m- misspeak and b the Chinese secret service is listening. Of course. No, I also <laughs> have so many family members and friends and sure. whatnot who have very <laughs> strong feelings <laughs> right, right, about, right. The, about yeah. uh, both sides. Yeah, it's it's anyway, that's yeah. I won't push you, but like hmm. it is, that stuff is fascinating to me, yeah. especially as somebody who doesn't have any dog in the hunt. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I mean, like I understand. I want people to have uh, freedoms, and uh, yeah. you know, like that's great. And whenever anybody talks about anything that has to do with, right, you know, squashing speech and it's, all this yeah, stuff, I just speech. go, oh no, 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 that's a bad idea. Or all this stuff going on in China about the whole, you know. People get ratings whether or not they cross the street the wrong way or whether they're in debt or whatever it is, all this stuff. It's like, yeah, I can understand on a societal level how you could say that that is good for the larger organism, but it really sucks for the individual cells. Yeah. You know, like I don't, it's just, it's, and, and of course being in America or being, Mm -hmm. even being in New York versus other places in the country, the way we think about things versus, you know, if you were some gay guy in Alabama, it's still a thing where if you're a gay man in New York city, no one cares, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's that kind of thing, but just global, you know? Yes. Um, all right. So you're in, you're in Hong Kong, (laughs) you're in, uh, uh, Japan, then you're in Hong Kong. Yeah. We're in Hong Kong for a little back in Japan again. Yeah. We're in Hong Kong for a little over a year. And then we went to Yamaguchi, which is a very small, um, town in, um, it's still on the main island. Um, it's right. It's very near um, um, Fukuoka, which is on Kyushu. Um, and um, basically, that's the town where my uh, my husband was studying the um, family that still does the theater form that he's studying. Yeah. Um, how so, did he get? Just a quick thirty yeah, second aside. How did he end up being fascinated by? traditional Japanese theater, like some very specific, like how did, how did that happen? Um, I think he's, I think he just aesthetically, it appealed to him. He likes, he, he, he was uh, very early on. He was drawn, I think 
<laughs> if he's listening, sorry if I'm getting this all wrong. I think he we'll likes just have him on to discuss it. Yeah, like he's he's um or he was interested in in the aesthetics and 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 how they put together um pictures and movement and and the the simplicity of I guess uh of the seeming simplicity, I should say, because it's not yeah. simple. Seeming simplicity of how they put together like words and scenes, etc. And then he, I think he he met somebody who was a professional Jap, like from Japan, professional actor, and she introduced him to a, other aspects of Japanese theater. And he got deeper and deeper and read more and more. And he realized that he really liked Kyogen, which is what he's studying. I'm probably saying it wrong too, but. Um, he he's studying this comedic nice form. Nice job, Chinese. Lady. I know. <laughs> Chinese and Japanese are so across the room, opposite sides of the room, opposite sides of the room, different. It's like there's an ocean separating them. Yeah, funny how that is. Um, but yeah, so I think that's how he got, he came to it. Like he 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 was interested in it, and yeah. then somebody else deepened his interest, and then he started studying it, and then he I can decided. imagine there's some people in Japan who go, "You're some white guy way more exactly. interested in this than we will like." There's a handful sure. of people who are still interested in this in Japan, mm-hmm. and here he comes from the outside, and, and there's the handful of people that are just like, yeah, we'll tell you everything we know, but yeah. why do you care? <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, I mean, I think the people who are willing to tell him everything they're they know, it they're just into as much it. as he is. But then he'll tell like some people like some Japanese people, he would say like, oh, I I study this. And they're like, why? Why would you want to do that? That's so boring. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, if somebody was, I mean, there are people out there who you're like, oh, what do you study? I study opera. And they're like, why would you want to do that? Yeah. I've interviewed an opera singer on here too. Oh, that's cool. It's fascinating. It's really fascinating. Opera's fascinating. Oh, I Because like I have my music degree, but I know nothing about opera. I mean, like I've seen a handful of things and whatever it is. And I do not have the- no endurance no right to to even experience some of these things let alone create them or understand Mm-mm. what makes them so intense oh I, I mean i think opera is fascinating and like i knew a lot of opera directors um when i was in los angeles and it's amazing and you i feel like you have to just have a mind tuned to that yeah. and i took i took i was a singer for a long while like many years ago and I mean, not an opera singer <laughs> and just like the little understanding I have of like the mechanics of voice and yeah. opera. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah. it's more than I, I and can. I, I, I had, I had her sing in here. Oh my gosh. Wow. I set up a, a really good mic and had her sing. So at the end of the podcast, I, I have some of her singing and she's wild. She said, are you sure I can do this? And like, you know, you have neighbors, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, back to Japan, you were, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. doing the stuff Yamaguchi. there. So we were in Yamaguchi for a little over a year. Again, we're in all these places for a little over a year. So we're in Yamaguchi. So Lo- you, okay. I mean, you have no hard roots anywhere. No, I've I been don't. in New York city. I've been in this apartment since 2003. That's amazing. I don't know what that's like. I really don't. Yeah. Did you, do, does that, do you ever feel, do you ever not regret that, but, but no. have some inkling of, Oh, it'd be nice to be in one place for a certain amount of time. Um, it's not my const- life. You're constantly <laughs> overturning your, you know, chosen family too, yeah. because, oh, for sure. you know, I mean, there's pluses and minuses on both sides. I think that, I mean, it's my life. It's, I, I try not to think, Oh, wish it was this way. I don't regret a single thing I've done. I've got, I got to live in all these places that people dream of going to. And I get to live in those places and like experience the culture as somebody who goes to the grocery store and pays rent and, you know, has to deal with the cable guy and whatever. Yeah. So that was, 
that to me, I'm so lucky because of that. Um, there are times that I'm really, really jealous when friends are like, oh, yeah, uh, I've lived in, you know, this town or this apartment or whatever for 10 years. And I know everyone on my block and I have all these roots and experiences that I can hearken back to in this one place. And I think that's amazing. And part of yeah. me is like, oh, wow, what would that be like? Because I didn't even have that as a kid. Yeah. Um, it's a continuum, I think. Yes. Right? There's the people who never left the town they were born mm-hmm. and grew up in. There's the people who never sit in the same place ever. Yeah. And somewhere in between. Yeah. I feel, I mean, I guess I'm one of those people who doesn't sit still, but I feel like I'm in between because once I get somewhere, I feel like once I get somewhere, um, I I tend to put down roots quickly. So like, I am me, I mean, it's because I've moved so much. I'm like, okay, well, that's my grocery store. That's, that's the nice person at the coffee shop. Um, I, I like this store, not that place. I want to take yeah. this route, the, not that route, this train, not this train. And I try and like, you get can settled. suck up a neighborhood real quick. Yeah. You're, you're really good at figuring out. So even if you go visit a town, let's say, you, you know, get on a plane and go to Barcelona for a day. <laughs> okay. You could probably grok that area very quickly. I, I'm pretty good at that. I, yeah. You know, the idea of like, okay, yeah, there's the convenience store around the corner from mm-hmm. the hotel or the Airbnb. All right, there's where the train is. All right, there's a faster way to get down here. Yeah. If you do this. Like my brain works like that, even though I've lived in the same place for a while. I think, I think some people are just good at sussing out a space or a town. And like, um, I think I'm also good with directions. Like if I walk, uh, yeah. if I go one place once, I'll remember it. Yep. And I'm really good at getting lost and then finding my way out. Is that a visual thing for you where you, where you, you think, Oh yes, I remember passing by that red door. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Isn't it funny? Some people have that, and some people don't. Yeah, my husband I, doesn't have it at all. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. my wife doesn't. <laughs> so you and I should go to like Venice and just walk <laughs> just around. Like, go. We just be, this <laughs> and is lose what, them, <laughs> which is what I do. I yeah. you know, like I'll yeah, it's like I'll even look at a map and go, okay, we need to get over there. All right, put the phone away. Follow me. Yeah. Like, no, I. You memorize. can't talk to me while I'm doing it, but I can. Yeah. I tend to memorize directions because I don't like looking at them because I feel like I'm missing out on things. So I tend to, even in New York, if I'm lost or I need to get somewhere, I tend to look at it. If I can, I memorize it and then I put it away and just go. I'm pretty good at that stuff. I'm actually, yeah, like I I can learn a city or a town really quickly. Um, Whereas like we lived in Honolulu for three years and I was still driving at the time and I could drive around the city or the the whole island pretty well. And to the, like the week we left, I remember, I don't, we were going somewhere that we've been a few times and my husband's like, okay, so wait, how do we get there? Should I get out my GPS? I'm like, how long have you lived here? Like I I can get us there. That amazes me. It's just like, you've been here for years. How do you not know? We've been there six times. His brain just doesn't work like that. Some people just don't do it. It's just not, it's just not. I also think that it comes with like, I I have a lot of like anxiety and paranoia. So I always want to know like my surroundings. So maybe I'm just paying extra hard attention. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like if, if the shit goes down, (laughs) exactly. I know where to get food, water. I know where I have some. For sure. Yeah. It's really funny. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So you come back to the U S eventually. Yeah. Uh, after Yamaguchi, we came back, um, to New York where my husband is from. And, um, I've been here a little over a year now, again, a little over a year, which we plan to keep staying. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You were about to move a week and a half ago. You were about to move. It was a little more than a week and a half ago. Okay. A month and a half ago, you were about to move. And so let's see back in, August, we were in New York. My husband, um, 
I mean, I, I, I had a, I have a stable job now, but he couldn't find a job. He had a job and he was let go and he couldn't find a job again after that. And this was summer of 2018. Yes. And, um, he got a call or he, on a whim, he applied to a job in Los Angeles with our old boss from LA working with our old boss from LA. Um, and, uh, it was in his field in arts, um, education and, um, you know, he's like, I don't know, LA, I'm not going to get this job, but he, he applied for it and he got it. And so suddenly, um, we had to make this decision, like, do we move to LA now? And it was yeah. like, he needs a job. I can work anywhere. The person I work for is based in LA. It seemed like a really good idea. So we're like, okay, let's, let's do it. We'll leave New York and we'll go to LA where we'd lived previously. Right. And, um, he, but I had something, I had a a big project that was looming in Boston. So I stayed in New York. He went to LA first, got an apartment, got everything set up, was working in LA, loved it. was like, I'm happy again. I didn't think LA would make me happy again, but it did. And so I was happy for him. I was a little sad to leave New York, but I could deal with that. And then um, two weeks before we were supposed to move, I will, I was supposed to up and go to LA He's like, I got a job offer at a place in New York. I won't, I won't say where, yeah. but um, I got a job offer in New York and it's like a crazy dream job. Like it's a job that doesn't exist and it's in his field. It's, it deals with Japanese theater, deals with arts education, all the things, like checks all the boxes. Yeah. And there's three jobs like this in the world. Yeah, like they don't, this is not a job, but yeah. it is now. Yeah. And so he's like, I, I think I have to take this. And I, I, we talked about it a whole lot and I was like, yeah, okay, I support you. You should take that job. Problem is we'd already given notice at our apartment and we're two weeks from moving out. And I call my landlord. It's like, Hey, so, uh, what Have if you I rented don't, it yet? <laughs> yeah, dude, what if I don't move out? And he literally on the, on the phone goes, Oh crap. And we talked about, he's like, you got to move out. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's something we can do. So I have like 10 days at this point, a little over 10 days to find a new apartment in New York. And, um, so I go, I look everywhere and I find a place eventually. Um, I found two apartments. I put in in an application for both of them. First one I don't get. Second one, he calls me. He's I love your application, but um, we you somebody beat you by an hour, so um, you can't have the apartment. And I was I like was freaking out because I was like I I don't know. I've literally like two three days to get an apartment now. And well, we're on the street or yeah. <laughs> going to a hotel for a week. Oh my gosh. I was freaking out. And the guy to, to his credit, he's, he's wonderful. My current landlord was like, he, he heard the like panic in my voice. And I said, Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. He's like, there's another apartment you can move in a month later or a month or half a month later. It's like, I can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, let me talk to these people. Let me see if I can see help if you. They out. can move two weeks. And he, and I was like, that's not going to work, but okay, thank you. He hangs up, call my husband. I'm like, we're screwed. And I start putting in like applications on all the apartments that I didn't want. You're that ripping I'd already all seen. the skin off your hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've like, my thumbs are, are like bloody flesh nuggets. And, um, the guy calls me back and he's like, you know what? They said they'll move later. You can have the apartment. And it was just like, Oh my God. I, I was so happy. The sky's open. Yeah. It was just like, I, I, you know, I, so is this one of the longer places you've lived in, in your adult life? Um, 
It, the longest is LA and mm. then Hawaii. So this, if this, this is coming up, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at a little over a year. So I have a two year lease right now. So if I live through the two year lease, like if we stay here, then it'll be the, it'll be uh, with Hawaii. <laughs> Fascinating. All right. So how'd you, how'd you get into the death world? <laughs> um, By the way, would you like one of these? Yes, please. Thank you. I'm like coughing all over the place. Um, is it gonna, I threw a cough drop, not uh, anything. anything else. Yeah. Is it going to bother you if I... If I no, uh, I was cramping on one too. Okay. I just needed something in my mouth. <laughs> um, I, I have a weird tickle in my throat for the last... Me too. Four months <laughs> that oh I've God. been keep clearing my throat and it's been driving me crazy. Oh my gosh, that scares me. It's like, I, I don't look on WebMD because something ter- they'll tell you something terrible. <laughs> really? I, I mean, I haven't, but I, the, you know... Are you a hypochondriac? No, but I read the internet too much. And, you know, you hear these horror stories about people like, oh, I had a tickle in my throat. And it turned out I had like the worst cancer possible. I had my jaw removed six months later. Oh, gosh. It's like my worst nightmare. Maybe this cough drop. This wonderful Hall's cough drop. I think it's a lemon one. Cough cough drop. Anyway, this is not interesting. Um, (laughs) Death stuff. So, um, weirdly enough, um, when I was at ExoJane... I wrote a column that dealt with sort of strange, morbid, dark, creepy things. Some Sometimes it was spooky, like ghosty things. Sometimes it was just like weird things. Sometimes it was cemeteries and death things. Um, sometimes it had to do with grief and mourning. And just across the board, anything that like fell into the like very general category of creepy. Right. And I would, it was called Creepy Corner. And I would write about this weekly. And, um, the person I work for now, um, she, I, I think she, um, she knew I worked at XI Jane. We were friends and she, um, I think she would read my stuff occasionally. She knew I had like a, a death, um, a death positive interest. And so when the publication went under, she, I, I put out sort of uh, on the internet and whatnot, like I'm looking for a job. I, I would love a steady writing gig. Anybody, anybody? And she answered the call. She said basically, yeah, um, I, I'm looking for someone to write for my website and also write scripts for these YouTube videos that she does called Ask a Mortician. And um, I said, yes, absolutely. This is like a dream job. I would love to. I, I thought she was great. I loved her work, um, The Order of the Good Death. Um, the death positive movement and um, how big is the death positive movement? How big is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like <laughs> numbers smaller of than people. the sex positive movement. <laughs> I mean, they might be <laughs> relatively equal. Um, it's very, it's, it always surprises me how big it is. It is growing. It's, I think it's growing very quickly and I think more and more people are becoming less death phobic. Okay. Th- hold on a second. I, Cause there's like six different directions we can go from here. Okay. one is have you always been fascinated by death or the macabre or creepy or whatever has that (laughs) always been an element yes yes okay it always has like it it, and it is i think it's a childhood thing like i said earlier about my parents you have siblings uh no okay Um, just you yeah um so um just my family being very connected to Mm, death and and talking about it very freely. Like I know a lot of people who as a cultural thing, you think 
Yeah, like we talked I about think, originally? I think it is cultural. I think okay. it is cultural. I also think my mom in particular has has a little bit of um has a very um deep fascination with um like ghosts and spirituality and stuff okay. like that. But um uh so yeah, that it's always been something that is easy to talk about in my family and I mean I've known for as long back as I can remember how, what my parents want done when they die, what they want done with their bodies, how they want to be treated. It's um, amazing how many people don't even want to discuss it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean that's okay. We can get into that. But, okay. <laughs> so as far as long as you've known, your parents have said, listen, this is when what I, I die, want I want to be cremated and I want to have a service and I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And then I want you to spread me over here. Yep. All right. So Basically. and you're just like, yeah, but mom, what's for dinner? Was not a big deal. It was just like. I remember getting in trouble, not in trouble, but I remember when I was a kid, um, like third or fourth grade, I had a friend over at the house and I asked her something, something like, do you want to be cremated one day? Or do do you know what my mom wants to be? I was talking about cremation and, and my mom afterwards, like, okay, you know, I, that's great, but you you gotta like, (laughs) you you gotta be a little more careful because not everybody wants to talk about that. And you know, some parents might get mad. Positive movement where you just be just like, (laughs) so what do you think about penises? And like the 14 year old girl's like, Oh my God, exactly. It's like, what did, Oh, Louis, what did Louise is weird. She's scary. Yeah. Yeah. So I got in trouble. Not a trouble. I keep saying trouble. I got, like, like my mom often would be like, okay, you were pulled you, aside to have a conversation. Be, yeah. I remember I wrote an essay to try and get into some private school. And I think I wrote about cremation. I don't know what my, de- I was obsessed with cremation. Apparently I didn't, I'm now the pieces are falling into place, but I wrote about like cremation or like, or like what people do when they die with their bodies. And mom's like, you can't do that. Write about like horses or something like, <laughs> like yeah, write yeah, about yeah. dogs, you know, don't, don't, that's, that's not quite the essay you want to give to the fancy private school. Yeah. It's, it's, it is funny. There must be people though in that movement who, and I'm not going to put you on the spot to name anything, but I, I can imagine with, in the same way with like the sex positive movement, the death positive movement, there must be like kind of creepers, people who are like into it for, for, for the, like fetishizing reasons. Um, you know, no? I don't think so. I actually think that there's a lot of, um, confusion or misinterpretation of, of what the death positive movement is, is that people think they, they confuse it with like people being like, Ooh, death is cool. And it's like, it's actually, I feel like quite the opposite. Those those people do exist. They do exist. Um, but I wouldn't, the people I've encountered in the death positive movement and who have reached out to me, um, are people who aren't like death is cool. It's quite the opposite. It's people who are like death is something to contend with. Death frightens me. Death is something that I've experienced and have been troubled or touched by in my life. Sure. And they take it very seriously and sensitively. Whereas I think a lot of times people hear death positive movement and they think one of two things or one of generally one of two things that like, oh, you're really into dying. Yeah. And there's like a suicide aspect to it, which sure. is troubling. And I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. Yeah. Um, That's the kind of stuff I'd imagine that some people either think it is or some people yes. who are interested are into. Yeah. Well, and then people also assume that it's just like, oh, like, weird goth girls, you know, like hanging out in cemeteries and which is just like insulting on so many levels because there is sure there may be those people exist too. Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah, yeah, but yes, I mean, maybe you want to, I love hanging out. What is that? That's somebody vacuuming in the thing. I wonder if that's going to get picked up on the mic. You think it's too bad? That'll be fine. 
Should I keep talking? Yeah, keep going. Okay. And then, I mean, but yeah, there are people who do, I love hanging out in cemeteries and there are people who have a goth aesthetic maybe, but it, that doesn't define the movement sure, yeah, yeah. And, and neither does where you hang out. You could be, you know, somebody wearing hot pink and, and, you know, drinking your LaCroix, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, yeah. um, you know, you love, you know, hanging out at cat cafes and you would never peg this person as somebody who's into sure. the death positive movement. And they're there. I mean, yeah. there's it's not an aesthetic. It is a it's a way of approaching a death phobic culture. You know, it's uh, I have watched multiple people die mm-hmm. in my life. I was there when my grandfather died. It was just me and my mother and my uncle, my mother's brother, my sister, and my grandfather, or mm-hmm. my father were both sleeping. He died very peacefully. Breathe, 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 stop breathing. Breathe, 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 stop breathing. Breathe, breathe, stop mm-hmm. breathing. You know, that sort of That's like amazing. very, you know. Yeah. It was fascinating mm-hmm. from almost like a, from like a scientific and humanistic point of view. Right. It was like, oh yeah. There's a point at which the body just stops doing what it is that it does, right? I mean, which is basically all we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, the you know? body knows how to die. Yeah, which is a, right. is a is a, can be a. I feel like some people may find that um, in the same way you know how to breathe when you pop out of your mother. Your body knows, your body how, to knows die. how to do it. And it to me, as somebody who, again, I've said it before, like I live with a lot of anxiety and like depression issues and death does frighten me. It, I'm not sitting here like, oh, I, I work in the death positive movement and I am not afraid of death. I think people who say that, who say they have no fear of death, I, to me sometimes, not yeah. all the time, but a lot of times I feel like people protest too much when they say that. It's okay to be afraid of death. I'm terrified of death. But contemplating it, talking about it, learning about it, knowing what I know about the actual process and knowing what I know and am learning and continue to learn about my choices for when I die and what my family and friends will like contend therapy. with. Yeah. It makes me less anxious about it. Was, was death one of the things you would be anxious about? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I still am. I, I worry about it all the time. It's interesting because I mean, uh, while I, I of course don't not fear death, <laughs> the idea of not, no longer existing mm-hmm. and being a non-religious person to me, I go to sleep and I just don't wake up. It's yeah. just, there's just void, right? There's like, there's nothing yeah. on the other side. There's a piece to that. Right. Uh, I do fear deteriorating, mm. right? Like not, not the post death deterioration, but right. the, you know, but my father also mm-hmm. died and I was there and that was not pleasant. You know, mm-hmm. he was gasping for air at the end and all that, you know I mean? Like the, like the, and that was a very sort of PTSD inducing experience Absolutely. watching that happen, especially somebody you love, right? Mm-hmm. Seemingly in pain. Yeah. That right? is one of my biggest fears. Right. Yeah. On top of the years of watching him deteriorate, he died yeah. of cancer, right? Like that, that process scares me more than the idea of, oh, I have a heart attack and I die while I'm sleeping. That yeah. doesn't really scare me. As yeah, I completely understand. It's, you know. Yeah. There's, um, I think that we, um, there's this really, there's a really good book called Being Mortal, and it talks about, um, it talks a lot about like hospice care and the how the the medical uh, establishment 
is afraid to talk about death and afraid to handle death a lot sure. of times and how there's so much focus put on um there's so much focus put on extending life yeah we don't focus enough um on preserving quality of life sure yeah. so there are a lot of people i think there are tons of people and out that's there. where most of the uh, costs of healthcare go is exactly. in the last three months of people's lives right yeah well i mean there are, i think and myself included there's so many people out there who would say like i would much rather have one month of great quality of life where i can enjoy my last month of life rather than six months of torture yeah I mean, you've heard the stories or experienced them yourselves. I've certainly experienced that. Like, it's mm-hmm. interesting. It's fascinating. The what we do, and maybe that's is that a Western thing? The sort of life extension at the end kind of conversation. Or, I think so. I think. Well, but I mean, I mean, it is. I think that it's a a lot of it is um, how the West views death and views. Um, uh, views how the dead are handled and regarded. There, we we're disconnected in the West from our dead. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it, but that's I, a that's a thing of the last century, right? I mean, in the nineteenth mm, century, we were much closer. People laid out on the table for people died at home, and people were right. cared for by the people yeah. in their home. Whereas now, you know, since the move has gone out of the home, the people you nobody. Not a lot of people get get to, and I say get to on purpose. A lot of people don't the get to care to, for their dead because yeah. a they don't know they can, or they are misinformed and think that they can't, or they shouldn't, or it's dangerous, yeah, or sure. all these things that are not necessarily true. Now, of course, there are circumstances in which you have yeah. to be careful. Yeah, but like by and large, like we advocate for people being hands on and caring for yeah. their dead. No yeah. one ever regrets it. Yeah, it's it's you know both my grandfather and my father died at in, in at the at the house at the mm-hmm. same house and and it is a strange thing knowing that you know somebody passes away you go downstairs because there's nothing you can do you call mm-hmm. the funeral home or mm-hmm. you know what I mean like and then two hours later or whatever it is, a truck shows up and they go upstairs with a thing and they put them in a bag and they put them on the thing and they take them out the front door and they stick them in a truck. Mm -hmm. And the next time you see them, maybe as if there's an open coffin at something. Right. Right. You know, which is always freaky because somebody who's embalmed doesn't really look like them. It looks like a wax version of them. If you're into embalming. Right. Right. And and you don't have to be embalmed. (laughs) Right. 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 My father requested to be he had an open casket wake and then he was cre- and then a f- regular funeral with the casket mm-hmm. and then he was cremated after that. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Like he yeah. wa- apparently he wanted the full Monty. He of knew options. what he wanted and right. I think that's great. Like there's like there are certain there there I think that Ironically me- though, I think he wanted it from a pride point of view. It's funny he's dead but he's like I want people to be able to come see me. Look, I mean, if, I think it's great when somebody knows what they want with their own death. I mean, it is something that is very difficult. For, I mean, it is difficult to sit here and think when I'm dead, I want this this and this. That's not like in, in no in no realm am I like that's an easy conversation. What's your problem? Right. Far from it. Like I I feel like I, that is something that is very hard to do, but if you can decide 
what you want when you're dead, I feel like it is the one of the kindest, most generous and responsible things you can do for your family. So that in they the got midst, enough to worry about after yeah, that. Yeah, in the midst of their yeah. grief and, and 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 missing you, they don't have to sit there and be like, I wonder what yeah. Louise would have wanted. Yeah. Do you think it's this or and, and stressing them out further? That's why, yeah. yeah here's like, the plan of the next this five This is what days. I want. Yeah. This is I basically I sat yeah. down, I wrote down everything I wanted, I did the research, I I I emailed um, my best friends and my husband and I was like, this is what I want. This is the information you need. This is my gift to you. If you know, the worst would happen. I mean, even, even, I mean, beyond the physical stuff of the body, just the idea of, Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, I'm going to tell you, you know, if I have any money, where my money is, who Mm -hmm. my lawyer is. Like there are people who can't even have that conversation. I have family members mm -hmm. who cannot, it's like, Hey, listen, what is, where, where are your, where's everything? Because if something suddenly happens to you, no one knows you just want to get my money, right? There's people who are paranoid about that, or maybe they're just terrified of death and they just don't want to have the conversation. But it's like, this is part about being a responsible adult, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it, 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 the strange thing about it is that it's, it's inevitable, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I I don't, I I had a dental phobia for a long time. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't like going to see the dentist. (laughs) I had teeth that were in the roof of my mouth that got exposed and pulled down Ugh. by braces. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. You're making faces. I had to have oral surgeries and stuff when I was mm-hmm. in middle school to the point where when I became an adult, I avoided going to the dentist. I don't blame you because I didn't want to deal with it. And my dentist was like a scary dude or whatever. Right. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he would basically yell at me and, and all the, like all the reasons why people go to the dentist. Right. Yeah. And I ended up finding a, a female dentist who's basically our age, mm-hmm. who I adore, and she's going to be on a future episode of the show. Oh, good. But she completely <laughs> changed the way that I look at dentistry. Now, she's had to do work on me that was not pleasant. Of course. But I trust her, and mm-hmm. it's there, there's a reality there to it all, right? Yes, I and agree. I, and I think that looking at this stuff and making the plans and all the rest of it, there's an inevitability to death. It's going to happen. So mm-hmm. why is it you'd think that people would feel better in the same way that you looking into this and writing about it and mm-hmm. working in this field maybe helps you overcome in some ways your own anxiety about it, mm-hmm. that this would be true of everybody. It's like, look, it's going to happen. Maybe at least if we look at this, then you can at least exhale mm-hmm. and say, okay, well now is not a complete unknown. There's some, right. there's some f- outline of, yeah. of the of the end of my life, you know. Yeah, I I, I think I, it, there's just so many factors, and there's so many different reasons people are um, hesitant to talk about things, are phobic, are afraid. I think a lot of it, is, a lot of it, um, a lot of it is fear based, and a lot of it has to actual do with fear of death, as actual fear of death, and um, just like confronting one's mortality is hard. It's sure. really hard. But then there's also this like cultural thing where we don't talk about such things. Yeah, yeah. So we don't, we don't talk, we don't talk about, about money. We don't talk about religion. We don't talk about dying. Da- oh, that's just so distasteful or yeah. that's, Oh, why are you so morbid? Or, Oh, are you, are you okay? You must be depressed if you yeah. want to talk about death. And these are the things that, you know, people have to contend with people who want to talk about death, not just because, you know, they're interested in cemeteries because they, they want to take care of their loved ones when they die. Yeah. Even the, even the quote unquote death panel stuff with mm-hmm. Obamacare came mm-hmm. up, right? It's just mm-hmm. like talking to your doctor about the end of your life is not something that needs to be pointed out as like, we're trying to screw and, and kill people. Right. Right. 
No, no. But I think that that as a culture, yeah, we are um, afraid that the person who wants to talk about death either wants us to die or will profit from our death. Exactly. Or has, or they have a horse in the race, which there are people like that. I mean, there are (laughs) the, there are people in the funeral industry who, um, do not do everything they ought to do or do not disclose all the information they ought to do. Or they have the hell's going to actually check. uh, Well, there are people who will check. You know what I'm saying? Yes, exactly. But there are lies told. There are, are, there are misleading things disseminated. There are people who profit from other people's suffering in, you know, in the funeral. That's industry. everywhere in, in, the, in the world exactly. in every field. Yeah. Like wh- you name a field that is free of corruption. I wonder why, I mean, uh, your mortician friend. Yeah. Uh, is, is it a family business? There's a, no. that's classically a thing, right? Where it is, but no, she, um, her name's Caitlin Doty. We don't have to, hi, Caitlin. <laughs> hi, Caitlin. Um, she, um, is a mortician in Los Angeles. Uh, funeral home is called undertaking LA and, um, what a no, hipster undertaker. <laughs> she's, she, I think she's been called the hipster mortician, but she's, um, no, she she um, has a funeral home that um, emphasizes uh, the family caring for the body and yeah. being more hands on and um, things Even like. The term funeral home is a weird thing. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I mean, it, there there's a lot of. I I think. I mean, I again, I'm not a mortician. I am not directly in the funeral industry, so I'm hesitant to like comment too heavily on pe- what people might say, things you don't understand. Yeah. But like, you know, there, um, yeah, there's a lot, I feel like there's a lot of stuff out there, like words and, and language that's used to make things sound much more like plush and cushy and, and yeah. gentle than maybe they actually are. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there, uh, uh, sorry to keep going back to my no. father. I just find it interesting as an example that he died in September we didn't find a, cause he, he kind of died slightly more suddenly than we expected. We didn't yet have a cemetery picked out for his ashes. And, uh, by the time we found one, uh, about a month later, the, the, the ground was too cold, right? It was, mm-hmm. you know, winter time. So they said, Oh, we'll just wait till the spring to, to bury him. You know? Yeah. And so the spring comes and we, we go and pick up his ashes and they're in like one of those little plastic Tupperware boxes mm-hmm. and inside the Tupperware is a plastic bag. And you know, there's, ash in there. Right. You know, right. this is just the way it's done. And we went and we, we buried this box and, you mm-hmm. know, with family and whatever it is. And the thing that the, the weird thing about it, Luis, is that I have regretted for about 13 years now, 14 years, instead of burying the box, we mm-hmm. should have taken the ashes out and poured them into the ground. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I understand. it's ashes into the dirt. Right now, he's inside two layers of plastic polypropylene that will not break down for 500 years, <laughs> right? And and there's part of me that wants to go dig it up and pour it in there. Now, this has nothing to do with reality. It has nothing to do with religion. It has nothing to do with... Right. It's just this weird little thorn in my head that goes... I understand. My father's trapped in a plastic bag. This is my own... I understand. ...hang up. Yeah. Right? But it does kind of key into the idea that, like death and the process of death and, and the business of death mm-hmm. is mostly about the people who survived. Right. The- yeah. Yeah. And how they feel or how they, uh, they feel served or yeah. how, um, they Their way can of processing or cannot, it. Yeah. How they can or cannot be at peace with how their loved ones were 
taken care of. Yeah. So, yeah, um, it is it is a lot about the I mean, I've met so many people who are like my I tell my family I want a natural burial. I don't I just want to be shrouded and I want to go to a natural burial ground, and just be put into the earth. That's all I want. I don't want a headstone or anything. And my family is freaking out about that. They're like, how could you do that? Why don't you want us to be able to visit you and see you in the casket and blah, blah, blah. Don't you want us to treat you right? And there's this. Um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> sounds a lot like the 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 mother of people getting married married thinking it's that their wedding and not the kid's wedding kind of and i mean it's like you had your wedding this is our wedding is, so we're gonna do it funeral. on funeral yeah right but there i mean it is yeah there are definitely there's pushback from people who are like oh wh- why would you want to do that or, or why do we even have to talk about this you know right or almost even the weirder one is the when i die give my body away to science or whatever mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i don't want any funerals i don't want any memorials i don't want you know what i mean that right. sort of I've, I've too much of a burden on the world as it is. Well, I mean, that's, that's sort of the other end of the spectrum from the person who wants to have a big giant pyramid on, on top. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I think that the, with donating one's body or, or donating one's organs, it's, um, I think a, a lot of it has to do with like, uh, like you can donate your corneas, you can donate your skin and you can really make a difference in somebody's life. Yeah, sure. Um, I think there's, um, a lot of misunderstanding about like if somebody says I'm going to donate my body to science. It doesn't always go no, the yeah, way yeah. you think it's going to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some <laughs> like, medical students hacking you up for the next or six. Or you months. don't. You think oh my body is going to go to some like noble thing, and it's like no, you you're you don't really get to decide that. Sure, yeah. So but unless you, I mean, there are ways you can. There are ways you can ensure thing what will happen to to you sometimes and and your parts of your body and stuff, but it isn't always a guarantee. It is, it is interesting though, that people are that worried about what happens to their body after they die, assuming they don't have some sort of religious context to it Mm -hmm. all. It's like, dude, you're dead. You know, like your entire concept of you doesn't exist anymore. I think it's wanting, it's the idea of wanting to leave the earth a little bit better than when you leave it, when you left it. And I, to, it's interesting because on one side, I often think like, yeah, you know, what am I going to, I don't care. I'll be dead. Who cares? You know, whatever. But on the other hand, it's like when I think about like, if I were to be, um, put in a, put in the ground in a way, put in the ground in a way I don't want to be. And just thinking of sort of the environmental ramifications and stuff. It really bothers right. me just again, as somebody who, who always is always thinking 12 steps ahead. Like I feel like, Oh gosh, how irresponsible of me. Well, there, there's two things there. One, uh, uh, one is the idea that I was kind of going for the idea of why doesn't everybody just allow people to do, you know, mm-hmm. what is my body needed for right now? Okay. You need the corneas. You need this mm-hmm. heart that just whatever it is. Cause you had a healthy heart or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like let's get that heart into somebody who needs it. Right. There are people who are just like, no, you're not going to touch me when I die. Oh, you know? for sure. Which is just, which is a little like, eh, you know, I, I can understand that. I mean, again, it's like there, are, of course, there are religious reasons or cultural reasons. I think that everybody gets to do whatever they want with their body. Like I personally would love it if somebody took my corneas or my skin or something like that. And then the rest of me was put shrouded and You've put into the skin, earth. So I, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> who wouldn't want this on them? Um, I, 
ripped off my face and put on the, no, but, um, <laughs> not, not your no, thumbs though. They wouldn't no, take your nobody thumbs. Nobody wants these thumbs or my pointer fingers right now. But <laughs> I mean, everybody gets to do whatever they want. It's yeah. like, if you want to have your body, like, yeah, if you want all your, if, not all, but if you want your skin donated, great. If you don't want a piece of you touched and you just get put into the earth as is great. I think that the, the major, the major thing that about being death positive is knowing that you you have choices. Yeah. It's not one size fits all because there is this understanding right now that when you die, go to the funeral home, you get embalmed, you get gouged for a you know fifteen thousand ca- dollar casket, and then you have a funeral, and then you get put in the earth with a vault in a man on a, under a manicured lawn, and it's and everything is going to cost you know around twenty thousand dollars or something like that. Like that's how people think of. Of funerals now. They're like, this is how it is. It's just how it is. That and that's is how the it has to be. Standard Western middle class way of doing things. That's what yeah. you do. And if you don't buy the fancy casket, you don't love your exactly. husband. Exactly. And it doesn't have to be that way. I think it's like everybody gets to choose what is best for them in the best case scenario. There are scenarios that you don't get to choose, and that's really sad. But when you can, like, that's great. Everybody should be able to do what they want. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah, you've done some research on the environmental impact of all of this. Mm-hmm. What is the best? What is the least environmentally impactful <laughs> way of, of disposing of, of a body? Um, currently, with what's available, uh, I would say uh, something that is commonly referred to as green burial, which is essentially going to a burial ground that has, is a doesn't have um, vaults yep. in the for the graves in the earth, so it's like you're going you know, into the ground. You're just going straight into the ground. Ashes, to ashes, dust to dust. Yeah, you you are. Is put, that legal in most places, or is there questions uh, of like you know putting a body in the ground? There's <laughs> like health reasons why they don't do it for some reason, are, like leaching into the groundwater. You know, whatever the thing is. Right? There are green burial sites and there are conservation burial sites where it is. It is legal. It has to be a specific area. You can't just like, you know, walk over to- Bury your dad in the backyard. No, (laughs) don't do that. Don't do that. Is that Um, actually legal anywhere? Do you you own the property? And I I mean, every state is different. I'm not a funeral and cemetery law person. But I'd imagine like there's someplace like out in Utah or something like that where, you know, people have these giant estates and people are not as- you know what I mean? Like yeah, I'm sure there's someplace out west that, where that is legal. Yeah. Well, I think you have you definitely. I mean, you'd have to own the the land, and I think sure. in some cases, if not all cases, you'd have to get permission. Hey, buddy, what are you doing? Bury yeah, my you, wife on your land. Right. Like, exactly. Don't do. Nobody do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, green burial. You basically are put into the earth. You can either be shrouded or you can have an eco friendly casket that will break down. Um, A lot of this is kind of how the Jews do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, I've been to. I think three Jewish burials. Jews get death way better than Christians do. They're better at it. <laughs> like seriously, like, cause it is, I mean, there's the whole, you know, people shoveling the dirt on one mm-hmm. by one and mm-hmm. like that whole idea. And it's a p- pine box unembalmed mm-hmm. into the ground. Like all of that makes so much more logical sense to me. Well, there's a closeness. Yeah. There's, I mean, very generally speaking, cause again, there are situations where people, you know, there's, there is, uh, reconstructive art. If somebody has a horrible accident that they get embalmed and they get their face fixed. And I do think there's some real beauty and value to that, but like very generally speaking, yeah, there's a close knit, like in what you're talking about, there's in like a, a, a Jewish, a Jewish funeral practice. There's a closeness. There's a connection with death. There's a connection with the body. And that is often, in my opinion, lacking yeah. in general 
Western funerary practice. I feel like the, there's also, I mean, look, the, some of the oldest things people have ever done as culture is funeral practices, right? I yeah. mean, you know, finding burial sites of Birth people. Birth and, and death. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I, I'd imagine, you know, back to the cultural thing from the beginning, mm-hmm. that because some places, it feels like China, for instance, mm-hmm. feels like a much more culturally stable place over thousands of years than the West has been. Disagree? I may be culturally consistent. Yeah, um, right. Like, I Perhaps, feel like the West yes. probably changes their mind every 50 years on well, so what young. is the way. Exactly. Yeah, right. Well, look at you say that like you're, <laughs> like you're an old woman. Like, I know. Uh, so. Well, no, well, the, the U.S. is so young. I mean. Yeah, the U.S. And, and for sure. They're, and everything has changed so fast already. I mean, we went from, you know, uh, dying at home very quickly to dying in hospitals and and then being moved to the funeral home and, and yeah. not care and paying someone to care for our dead. I mean, the, the change was very fast. So like we're still figuring ourselves out and, and the work I do, we're just, I, we're hoping to make an impact on, I guess, how people are figuring things out. And I think that we, more and more people, it's this like, you don't think about it this way, but all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm a, I can talk about death. I can consider what I want. And I'm not some like, you know, I'm not some morbid creep. You know, I'm, I'm a very if you normal want person yeah. who, you know, everybody has considered their death. Yeah. Some, you know, I think that we should talk about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a friend of mine called me last week or uh, two weeks ago, I guess it is now. He said, hey, uh, you know, I have some bad news. I said, what happened? He said, um, this guy, Jim Dietz that I know. Mm. He's like, Jim's dead. It's like, mm. wait, what? He worked for Getty. Picture, oh, you know, like the. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. Okay. He worked for Getty. He would go to event spaces and set up their network so that oh. when all the people are shooting to get it, the pictures to the s- computers that go up to the server. So right. they could take a picture and 90 seconds later, you can buy it for yeah. your newspaper. Right. So he would go, he was like the big networking guru guy. And he was on site somewhere, didn't show up one morning, mm-hmm. go to his hotel room and he's dead in his bed in the hotel room. Right. And it's, you know, it's just, it's such a reminder. I mean, you know, we talk about people like my father taking years to die and we Mm -hmm. knew he was going to die. There are people who just die, die, Mm -hmm. you know, or hit and run or Mm -hmm. walking down the street, have a heart attack or whatever. Right. And in some ways, those surprising ones are, I mean, they put life and death in such relief. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. Jim was here yesterday. I was supposed to have dinner with him next week. Jim's dead. Yeah. You know, and that like, and I think that sometimes that's a little bit of a divide by zero mm-hmm. in people's minds. Like, wait, no, I don't understand. In the same way that you try to explain your know, string theory and you say, well, there are 17 dimensions. You go, <laughs> no, there's three dimensions, dude. I don't understand how there's 17. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, you can't see those other ones. Well, then they don't exist. Then, yeah. You know? So it's like, I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in living Mm-hmm. Then we forget there's an alternative. Oh, yeah. No, I think that I, well, it, it's this idea that for me anyway, it's this idea that like I would, it's, it's, it's actually, it's flipping it around. It's like, I would, I want to prep everything I can about death and learn everything I can about death so that. I feel like I have the solid base and I can just go on with my life and I can like everything, everything in place. This and is how you are about everything? Kind of, but it, 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 with, I think a lot of people I encounter in, in 
who who are interested in death positivity are like this. It's like I can relax and enjoy my life if I have feel like I understand ex- death. If I well, if I've explored it to a place where I feel good about it, that I feel um at peace with it. Yeah. So I have my death plan. I know what I want. I know what to do with my family. I know as if, as at least right now, I know what I want. I I have a a mental I have a grasp on it that makes me feel less terrified and more sort of philosophical about it. So I feel like I can live my life as opposed to in the past, I just felt like there were so many things I didn't know and understand. I didn't know what to do. And it just felt so chaotic that I, I I, I was obsessing about it as opposed to living my life. Yeah. You can, that's you can, just me you can, though. You can contain it and put it aside. <laughs> kind of, which you can't really, con- you can't contain death. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean. You can't contain death. I, you can't contain, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm tricking myself a little bit. It, right, I'm right, definitely right, right, tricking right. myself a little bit, but um, it that's a very small sort of piece of what the death positive movement has done for me. It's like given me a way to um, process those fears and concerns and turn them into something functional in my yeah. life. Yeah. And it's stuff, something that people can actually take action on. It's actionable. Yeah. It's like this alchemy of going from like this amorphous, like, Oh, death is scary. I don't know what to do to like, okay, you know what? No, I can turn it yeah. into these things yeah. that I can do and I can think about like, very concrete things I can consider and make choices about. Yeah. And that within that, within that, um, those boundaries and those lines, I can feel more free to like, you know, play, yeah. you know, it's, playing it's, within the lines. It's, what's ironic about it is that I, I had lunch at the meatball shop. You probably, <laughs> have you been to the meatball I shop? I haven't been. Probably not. You're not, you're not up to eat, your thing. Yeah. I think they do have vegetarian meatballs. Oh, but they do? Putting that aside for the moment, the way they do it basically is like, what kind of meatball do you want? They have a menu of 16 mm-hmm. of them. How do you want it? On bread, not on bread, in a salad and whatever it is. Okay. What kind of sauce do you want? What kind of cheese do you want? Like basically, and in some ways, that's a little bit like what death is like. There are finite things that you can do. It's not a big open field. (laughs) It's like, let's sit down and just go down the list of what makes you comfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's not that scary or that dark or that, you know. It is that scary to me. It is that scary and that dark, but going down that it's path tangible, though, is tangible. You know? And it is it for me, not everybody, but for me, um, it, it, yeah, it, it, it takes away. I get very nervous and overwhelmed when there are unlimited possibilities and this narrows it down to, you know, you, you just know what you want. Yeah. You can start narrowing it down to like, this works for me or this works for my loved one or whatever. Yeah. 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 So if you were going to give advice to, uh, to anybody who's listening to this, who this conversation is freaking the F out (laughs) because you know what I mean? They're like, if a thousand people listen to this, there will be a couple hundred people where this makes completely uncomfortable. Oh yeah. And they, and that's okay. I mean, you know what? Honestly, it's like, yeah, you, (sighs) I think you have every right to freak the hell out. You have every right to be terrified. You should be scared. I'm not saying that it is, everything is scary. It but is death. We're talking you, about you, dying. You're allowed to be scared, and you and to and to to try and squelch that that to to, to like remove that fear is unnatural and unrealistic. Yeah. So I would say, if to somebody who's like my fear of death 
is is insurmountable is i can't i can't deal with it like i would say that allow it to be that um and then do uh, do some research look you know little things just like look into i mean a great i mean i'm not trying to like hawk my work but like the the order of the good death website it's www.orderofthegooddeath.com um it's there's a lot of resources there. You can there's liter- videos too. Yeah. And ask a mortician on YouTube. Yeah. You know, there's some, there's some great information out there about everything from how to plan a home funeral to what my choices are with, you know, uh, burial or yeah. cremation or aquamation or, um, Ooh, what's aquamation? um, alkaline hydrolysis. It's basically, it's not, um, legal everywhere for humans, in the U.S., but for animals, it's becoming more and more common. And we're hope it's it's a it's a greener way to cremate. It's basically you um, put a body in a metal container that is uh, a solution of essentially lye and water. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like lye. Yeah, and you um, this is what mobsters do. <laughs> well, but very quickly that <laughs> it breaks it, it reduces the body very quickly in a very gentle, natural way. And you're, what you're left with is essentially more or less um, the what you would have with cremation, but it's has um, it's much greener, it's much better for the environment, and it's frankly gentler. It's not fire. It's 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 a water it's process. Water. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so that that's that you know that could be in the, hopefully in the future that will be available to humans in yeah. America. <laughs> I, I will tell you that having experienced death. Hmm makes me less scared of it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there was a, a, a home health aide there at the end with my father and she came in, a new one came in, I don't know, 12 hours before he died or something. Mm-hmm. And she was there and she was a very quiet woman, kind of like this larger quiet woman who was like very good. And, and after my father passed away, she was still there and I, I was talking to her. I said, how, how do you do this? How do you come into people's houses like, how do you not take it home with you? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. how, and I said, you know, you sit there and you're, you're watching people die all the time. Like, mm-hmm. how does that not get you down? And she said something to me that I, like, I'll never forget. She mm-hmm. said, you know, I see it as a privilege to be there when somebody dies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I this is that- the most intimate thing that this person will ever do. Mm-hmm. Me even being there experiencing somebody else going through this it's, it's like, it's, it, yeah. And I just, I, it was just a very interesting way of looking at it. And I've kind of held on to that for mm-hmm. years and it's, it's, I don't know. I just passing that along. It's just, it's just an interesting way of looking at it. You know, I completely agree. I think, well, a lot of times people say like, oh yeah, you know, in it, cause it, when you're thinking about death, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, and somebody says like, oh yeah, I really want to help like wash the body and, and, and prepare them for a home funeral yep. and, and, you know, take care of them, take care of a loved one after they die. People are like, oh, I could never, oh, that would be so weird or touching a corpse. But then when it, when confronted with it and, um, somebody's actually given the opportunity to, prepare the body, wash the body, you know, take care of the body. 
I don't think I've ever met anybody who regrets it. Right. Like it is. Talk about intimacy. Yeah, it is absolutely. And in a way, in the same way that, you know, people like physical things, they, they want the record and not the Spotify mm-hmm. thing. Right. There's like a physicality to the death. It's like they didn't just die and you walked out of the room and you never saw them again. Yeah. You, you got to spend time with them after when they weren't there anymore. Oh yeah. And they're most like, uh, what's the word? Um, it's going up in my head. Uh, when hey, the, writer lady. I'm sorry? <laughs> writer lady. I, I, this happens to me all the time. <laughs> I forget, like, the simplest of words. No, but, like, uh, when somebody is at their, what's the word? Um, Different than vulnerability. They're most vulnerable. Okay. Yeah, sorry. See, this is, like, I'm a writer, and I forget <laughs> words like vulnerable. Yeah. But when a person's at their most vulnerable, yeah. you're there taking care of them. Like they are dead. You could treat their body horribly, but there's beyond death. There's this yeah. trust that like, there's also a weird thing. Like, and I, again, I don't believe in souls or whatever it is, but dead bodies, they don't feel like living bodies. No, you know, no. like it's like there's the, a, the a, second somebody dies, like something changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a weird way that if you mm-hmm. haven't experienced it, it's kind of, it's not eerie, but you could understand why people believe in souls. Absolutely. You know, like, Cause you look at that and you go, yeah, something's not there anymore. Yeah, people wake up. I mean, I've had family members who woke up out of a sound sleep at the like the moment after their loved one died, and it's like, oh well, he's gone. He's gone. I don't even have to. I just know he's gone. There's something different. Yeah, the world, the room changed. Yeah, the like there's just something about like the settling. I mean, I'm thinking in terms of like physicality, but like just something about it, like settling of the body. It's like something just like eases all of a yeah, sudden like deflates almost a little bit yeah deflate is a good word it's oh god it's so weird it is but it i mean it there's an, there's some difficult ways to die out there and some really beautiful oh, ways to die yeah and then there's i mean some i hesitate to use the word beautiful well, but, but you can have a i mean a good death i mean we you know there's yeah. there's way there uh all right give me the urls and the 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 handles one more time um okay so uh well, I'm Louise Hung and I work for the Order of the Good Death and um I you can find us on YouTube under the channel Ask a Mortician. We have years worth of videos. How many videos are under there? Hundreds. Um okay. we Was that many questions for mortician? Well, we we've branched out beyond just questions <laughs> okay. to um to videos about, we call them, you know, iconic corpses or bigger questions about um, funeral practices or mummification. Or, I mean, there's some of it is like practical advice, like some of it's demystification of yeah. what is otherwise. I mean, I think part of the problem is that a lot of people see more morticians a little bit like magicians, where it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm closing the curtain here. Yeah. Yeah, and you no. don't need to know what actually happens. Yeah, no, this it's a it is there are actual questions where you know Caitlin, who is the host and you know the person who started all this, um, she answers yeah questions about embalming or yeah. home funerals or 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 body donation, and then there are, there are things about yeah like iconic corpses about you know the body of yeah. what Lenin happened to the is, body of yeah Lenin Eva Peron um, yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff like that and or. Uh, you know, strange things that have happened in, in news and et cetera. So it's, it's, there are a lot of, there's a lot of great information there. And then the order of the good death, um, which is the, the, the organization that is sort of 
the, the umbrella to all of this. And we put out um, a podcast called Death in the Afternoon, um, the videos, uh, c- content on our website, um, articles, resources, information. Basically, we are, I, I truly believe we are your sort of one-stop shop for any questions you have about death, dying, your choices, et cetera. Books, movies even. We have books and movie recommendations on the resources sure. site. Yeah, yeah. Um, and your personal stuff, you have a I have Twitter a, account, don't you? I'm most active on my Twitter. Um, it's at Louise Hung One. Really exciting. <laughs> um, I... I <laughs> Yeah, I got that Twitter handle when I didn't want to have Twitter and I was like, Louise hung one, that'll be fine, whatever. And now it's, I use it all the time and I, I think it's silly, but whatever. At least you're not the, the real Louise hung. Ugh, yeah, right. <laughs> I think there's another Louise hung somewhere who's like a violinist. Like she's like a big deal. That's gotta be a non, like hung is a common Chinese name. Mm, not really. I haven't met a lot of... I but there are 1.2 billion Chinese people. That's so. true. I, I mean, <laughs> statistically, there's got to be a million hungs out there. Yeah, yeah. there's got to be more of us out there. Um, yeah, Louise hung one, and then I don't. I'm not on Instagram. I hate Facebook. I have to use it Good for, for work, you. but I'm, I don't like Facebook I'm, very I'm much. I'm very envious of all of that. Uh, um, it's a yeah. necessary evil in my world. Yeah, you I. Know. I, I understand. It's like as a professional, you have like I use it professionally, but personally, I don't really like using Facebook. Yeah. You like texting. I I don't like any you of like it. Phone calls. I don't like phone calls. You like I, coming over and hanging out and talking sure, for two yes, hours on a microphone. Fine. Yes. I, I will. I would rather do that than I would rather do that than any of the above as far as like social media goes. So I mean, invite Louise over to your house. You guys can talk about death too. <laughs> It'll be great. Uh, that was, that's my preferred means of contact. No, it's not. <laughs> Twitter and you, I used to have a, I used to have a Louise hung Facebook page, but I don't anymore. Yeah. You don't need that one. No. <laughs> uh, thank you for taking the time. This was fun. Yeah, this was fun. I'm glad I came and sat on your chair and drank yeah. your look. Croy and ate your cough drop. So now we're going to have to have you back on to discuss uh, Chinese political policy. Oh my gosh. What was the other one? There was like another whole thing know. that I brought up that you were just like, Oh, uh, the, the, the LA theater question. Oh gosh. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I find somebody, find an expert to talk about Hong Kong politics. I'm going to bring on your husband to talk about like Japanese re- theater, Japanese theater. You that's, that'll, that'll be a, that'll be a banging. Uh, I was going to say, lots like, of that'll, are gonna that'll to that. get your numbers <laughs> cooking. Hey, that's, you know, it's, it's mean, not for them. It's for me. I just enjoy talking to people. Look, you, you, you drink a lot of caffeine and then you talk to him. Look, his stuff is interesting, but man, have you, I don't know if you've ever talked to a PhD about something they're passionate about. Oh, it can go deep. Oh, it goes so deep and so like, oops, so <laughs> deep and so long. It, yeah, <laughs> ooh, yeah. That, well, that sounds filthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you know, it's fat. He's, he is very interesting. All right. We'll, we'll do that next say. time. All right. Okay. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. <laughs>